Welcome to my podcast, Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond. It's your host, Dr. Vignesh Devraj. And today, the guest in my podcast is Gopi Kalail, an extraordinarily inspirational person who had a humble beginning and all the way up to a fantastic uh, future of what tech boom could bring and what vision, hard work, and dream can bring into this world. And let me introduce you to him. Gopi Kalail is a chief evangelist of brand marketing at Google, and he's the author of two best-selling books called From the Internet to Internet and The Happy Human. And he's also a TEDx speaker, and you can look at his speeches in YouTube, which is viewed by many hundreds and thousands of people. And he created a yoga teaching course in Google called Yoglas, where he's teaching every week. And whenever I went to Silicon Valley and visit the amphitheater headquarters of Google, I see him teaching at the Google headquarters to all the Googlers, many Googlers who come for his yoga class. A very inspirational person, highly into spirituality, a versatile personality who has various interests, including Burning Man, traveling, uh, teaching about spirituality, and he chants Kirtan. He has his own Kirtan CDs. So Gobi, very happy to have you in my podcast. Thank you, Vignesh. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me as your guest. And in these difficult times with the lockdown that also happening in US, how do you take care of yourself, Gobi, in these times? I follow a very simple formula for self-care, Vignesh, and mm. one of my health coaches at the South Asian Heart Solution here in Silicon Valley taught me the formula. And she told me, take your meds every day, to take your meds every day. Now, meds is an acronym for a short form for medication in popular usage here in the US. But the meds that she meant is M for meditation, E for some sort of exercise, V for diet as in nutrition, healthy nutrition, and S for sleep. So those are the four pillars of my daily practice to take care of myself. This is, I remember you talking about this in one of your TEDx speeches before you were launching the book, Happy Human. And uh, even though you were extraordinarily excited and happy to launch your book about Happy Human, but the rhythm of your life with so much of travels and uh, publishing and the book signing, it got you into a difficult situation. So you have to get back to your meds. And it was a fantastic speech. All those listening, if you haven't heard his speech in TEDx, please go and watch his speech on Happy Human. I think it was TEDx Palo Alto, if I'm right, Gopi. That is correct. Yes. And you talk about... So, Gopi, we lived in a time... I mean, when I say lived in a time, I'm just talking about before Corona. I think after this coronavirus, we are going to look at history as before Corona and after Corona. So before this, we lived in one of the most fast-changing times. And you said that even though you were completely into spirituality and you, you loved this meditation, but there is an element, we miss this bus of taking time for ourselves. And why is it that we miss it, even though we know it in our head, but we miss it? It takes an enormous amount of uh, focus and discipline, uh, bigness, and we can easily lose our way. So that whole incident that you mentioned, ironically, there's a whole chapter in the book, Taking Your Meds, and yet on the day the book was launching, Mm -hmm. uh, October 10th of 2018, Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be in the TV studio being interviewed for the book at four o'clock. Instead, at four o'clock, I was in the Stanford Hospital emergency room 
lying on a stretcher with an IV down my arm, rapidly losing consciousness. And here I was supposed to be the happy human myself. I devolved to be unhappy human. And as you pointed out, yeah, leading up to that book, my lifestyle had led me there. And there are a yeah. couple of things going on here. First, we can get so excited and caught up because we live in a fast-paced world. There are so much opportunities and uh, you can embrace it. And one of the first things we end up sacrificing is self-care because we feel like we can eventually get to it. And part of the reason is you know, only 24 hours in the day, we have a tendency to fit a lot of things into it more than can be done reasonably in 24 hours. Add to that the modern day lifestyle of jet travel, which can easily vault you in 10 hours from San Francisco to London and all of a sudden your rhythm and clock and sleep cycles have all gone haywire. And then thanks to the internet, enormously useful um, technology, it also keeps us going 24 hours as messages and information keeps being thrown at us all the time. So in the midst of it, it's even more important to take care of ourselves. But it's one of the first things to easily give up. Uh, it's the same reason why, despite all of our sophistication education, two highly scientifically proven facts are nutrition is super important, especially getting rid of sugar and uh, exercise, right? This is a well-known fact to anyone who has read any literature or looked at any research in the topic. And yet, and yet, both those are uh, often ignored and violated. There's something in the human condition that prevents us from doing these things, even though we know in our brain, in our heart, that this is absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, as to why that is the case, I think uh, that is a whole vast field of research, which is being done correctly, uh, being done currently. But it needs a lot of constant awareness and reminders and discipline on our own not to fall off the wagon. It's, it, uh, I remember in your book and also in your speeches, especially the last time when you were in Sitaram for your Panchagarma, you were making a speech on internet, internet, and your happy human book. And you said something interesting like 24 hours is the equalitarian thing for humanity that we have, which is equal to all of us, irrespective of the race or which country we come from, what class we are in. And 24 hours is something that we all have it. And we see that some people are extraordinarily happy with that. Some people are overstressed. Some people say, I don't have time. But this time, especially with this coronavirus, we all have time. Of course, let's not say everyone. I'm sure some people are, some people who are lost and some people who are stuck uh, when they are not able to get back to their home and stay with their family and some people with uh, having someone who is deceased because of this issue. But in general, Today we see that we have more time than any other time today because of this coronavirus. So in such a time, we also see that anxiety is going up to uh, another extreme levels. So in such situation, what would you recommend as an antidote for this anxiety levels and the stress that we are going through? Yeah, I would say that we have more time at this point than we've had before. We've always had the same amount of time. A day is 24 hours. That has not changed. What has changed is some of the demands that has been placed on our time. Uh, but before I say that, I will, you know, as I was talking to you earlier, yes. 
if you all of humanity now falls, I think, into one of five uh, categories, there are people who are who have uh, the coronavirus, and the estimated numbers, I believe, as of today, is about 1.5 million. And obviously, their focus is uh, dealing with that and getting better, either recovering at home or in some extreme situations. Unfortunately, in hospitals and in intensive care, and I send my uh, in a deep best wishes and compassion to them. Then there are family members of theirs who are obviously very stressed about it, and their focus is just making sure that their family members are safe and recover from it. There are all the medical professionals whose life is turned completely upside down if they are responding to the situation, uh, and they are working around the clock, uh, not sleeping enough uh, because the medical system is absolutely getting crushed in many parts of the world and uh, their life is really stretched uh, to the extreme responding to it and then there are people and this applies not just to medical professionals but also in anyone in quasi medical areas working around this people who drive ambulances and first responders not to mention people essential services uh, grocery and waste management and people making sure there's water flowing and food being delivered, et cetera. And then there are people who are anxious because economically they've been displaced, their lives have been disrupted, the jobs are gone. And then there's a huge group of people who mainly have to wait it out by maintaining social distancing. Uh, so, yeah, so the 24 hours is still available to us, except some of the elements, if you are, healthy and at home, just socially distancing, you probably the commute is gone uh, for now. You probably don't have to travel. You're not allowed to travel. That has freed up a lot of the time we could spend. And we're also not spending time outside socializing at dinner, at entertainment, at sports, sporting events, etc. So, uh, yes, there's a huge amount of uh, time that is available. And it is then an opportunity to refocus a good portion of the time on taking care of your self-care. But it's not just simply a privilege and a luxury. You have to absolutely do it for two or three reasons, I would say, Vignesh. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned this this morning. I was doing my online yoga class every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and uh, Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific. I'm still continuing to teach my live yoga classes except now it's over video and the people who are doing it with me are joining via video, online video and, uh, and practicing. And what I told them, the reason they must absolutely do it is, first, our functional movement is substantially reduced. The number of steps we take. Normally, even if you don't exercise, you have to walk around getting between buildings at your office or walking to your train station or to your car, to if you're around shopping or in a park, we move our body. And I remember you telling me when I was staying at Sita Rao that our body likes movement. Our body needs movement. And that functional movement has been substantially reduced when you're mostly spending time within your main dwelling, within your house. So all the more important, you got to consciously make sure your body is moving and exercising in some fashion. The second reason is that, as you mentioned, there is a time of anxiety and fear different people are processing it in different ways and if you do these practices and 
any form of exercise and for me personally yoga and meditation are two big components it allows your mind to calm down it allows your anxiety levels to come down and that's important not just to feel good but as you well know there are so many linkages between that and how the biochemical processes in your body work to your benefit or to your detriment the third reason is that it's all the more reason to stay as healthy as you can doing the things you can control if you do get exposed to the virus then that, that may not be something you can control based on where you live and what whom you come into contact with etc but the one thing we can control to some extent is to keep our body as healthy as possible and if your immune system is strong if you got good defenses inside the body then you are helping your own system from not getting ill so those are the three reasons why i said this is not just simply a nice luxury because we have the time i would say it's an absolute necessity and it's probably our responsibility to do this and this is one way by which you can actually contribute to the world so that's a nice insight i mean the moment we shift this as a necessity from something that it would be nice i have it our brain processes it in a completely different way so gopi in one of your speeches you also talk about uh, you are always fascinated with the artificial intelligence that the modern tech world especially coming from google you say how great the artificial intelligence is going but nothing is i mean the artificial intelligence that we have today in your words you would say we are still light years away from understanding how our brain functions and when we have such a fantastic organ inside us and some people say that our brain is not designed to keep us happy it is designed to keep us survival you know to keep us survival mode to see if there is something dangerous that is going on and with such a thing that is happening with this corona virus we are definitely going back to our survival mode but at the same time it doesn't mean that we can't be happy there is a lot of inputs that we could put in our brain how we can focus and keep us in the best possible version of ourselves in this time and in your book of internet to internet you talk about the quality of your inner net is the quality of your life so how what can we do i mean you speak, speak about meds you speak about taking care of ourselves you say that taking care of self care is the number one priority today and in today's world with so much of news and uh, fear that is being put on our head what is that aspect that we can do to keep our inner net in the best space yeah absolutely that's a great question vignesh and there are a number of daily practices that you can adopt to that so I'll talk about the things that i do by by no means they are the full list or the most exhaustive list but i would just want to share saying for example these are the things i am doing i mean starting with even news consumption i check it just once a day in the morning and evening because i just want to be updated i just have few sources and uh because i want to know what's going on what is the latest i look at some numbers i look at some very specific authoritative sources fortunately i don't have a tv so i don't have a tv blaring all the time in my living room i don't watch any tv mm-hmm. and i free myself up from that but i look at a few other sources on the web and uh, and there are some very specific uh, individuals who are experts in this area epidemiologists or uh, or or uh, astute observers of this disease modelers etc who are publishing about this on a regular basis 
and I I look at what they are saying. That's about my only source, and through all my social media feeds and and messaging groups, etc. There is tons of stuff that is coming through. Everyone in the world, all of a sudden, seems to have suddenly become uh, uh, an expert. They have become an epidemiologist and uh, and and economic observer, etc. For um, and I'm just not able to handle all of it. So the most part, I ignore all of that. There's only so much information I can consume, so I regulate myself. It doesn't mean I'm out of touch and think I'm pretty well clued into what's going on, at least from the sources. Uh, but there are other things that I've made it an absolute uh, necessity. I, for example, I have different forms of physically exercising. I go for a walk around my neighborhood and uh, I try to connect with nature. When I do that, I don't take any electronics with me. I'm not listening to music and podcasts. I'm actually listening to the sounds of nature because it's a lot more quieter. I rarely meet anyone. Uh, not very far from where I live, there's tall redwood trees that's probably been there for 400 years and I walk through the forest and I'm all by myself. Um, I, uh, I like biking, so I go on long bike rides. I do yoga in the house. So if you don't have access to one of those kind of places, I tell people you know, this very portable practice. Uh, all you need is some mat and in your living room, you could be moving your body synchronized with your breath. Uh, and there's tons of resources. Even if you've never done it, there's plenty of resources available online for you to watch and practice with it. So there's uh, those things that I do around uh, uh, exercise. I also am lucky enough to have access to going out, getting out on the water where I live. So I actually get out in a kayak and row. Mm-hmm. So I can be in... Uh, in an open area all by myself. I'm still socially distancing, but in nature and it's very grounding and relaxing for me. So find whatever it is within your context that allows you to do that. And then I do formal meditation. I've got a practice. I also experiment with a lot in this time. I, whether it's trying the Headspace app or I search for and find guided meditations done by different people that's available on, say, YouTube. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious about other formats of meditation, and there's so much available besides my own practice. And in terms of food, uh, for a long time now, I'm primarily dependent on plant-based food and uh, avoid, for the most part, any processed food and minimize sugars, etc. So I continue to be even more sensitive to that because I know that's what my body seems to respond to. And then um, given that I don't have to drive to work or drive back from work, I've got that extra time and I've gifted that time towards an important cause and that is sleep, which I was shortchanging myself, but now I'm using that extra time I have to sleep longer hours. Uh, And then um, even though I don't call it socially distancing, I physically undistance myself. So I'm not coming into direct contact with any human, and I've not been for now almost a month uh, since I've been in self-isolation because I'm pretty much at home other than when I go out for uh, fitness-related reasons. I rarely come across or may see someone from a distance. And then once in 10 days, I do a quick run to a grocery store. That's about it. So 
So while I'm physically distanced, I am socially undistancing myself. Even more than before, I am connecting with people uh, that I know in a variety of contexts, and they do it over the phone or maybe an email message, uh, lots of video conferencing, and sometimes handwritten letters. So it's an opportunity for me to reconnect to humans at a very human level. And uh, this is a new way of connecting. This is not my ideal way. I like to meet people face to face. But if that is not possible, then a plan B kicks in. Uh, and then I'm also using some of the white space in my life, in my calendar, as reflection time. This is an opportunity for us to step back and uh, have the privilege of thinking about many aspects of my life. And I'm using it as a time to reflect and, and uh, read some material related to reflection. So, for example, today I was reading a New York Times article which the columnist was talking about Henry David Thoreau when he went to Walden Pond and self-isolated himself for many years, which uh, led to Thoreau's famous work, uh, Walden Pond, uh, or Walden. But now much of the world is living a Henry David Thoreau-like existence. So we are all going through a similar contemplative phase because of the situation. So embrace it even though we've been thrown into it without choice. Yes, I still remember many people coming and I wish this weekend could last a bit longer and we have it right now with us. <laughs> and Gopi, it's interesting that you, uh, you make a differentiation between social distancing and physical distancing. I think when people say that, okay, you have to social distance, people think, oh my God, I'm going to be alone. But actually we are not alone. We, this is the best time. I mean, in one of the conversations that we had, you spoke about the, the last time such an intensive thing happened was maybe World War or before that we had the Spanish flu where we didn't have the opportunity to really connect with people. Today, the technology is helping us to actually socially connect it. It's just that we are having physical distancing right now. Yeah, you, are you asking me to comment on that? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I would say that one of the reasons why everyone is kind of feeling very rattled by this. This is a once in a century kind of event. The last time, uh, if I'm not mistaken, when such a global epidemic, large scale, one swept through the world was in 1918 or so, uh, what is now called the Spanish flu. And then there have been other cataclysmic events that most of the world got caught up in that have happened. And usually it's events like the Great Depression and the early, uh, uh, 20th century or um, the World War I, World War II, etc. In our lifetime, Vignesh, we never had to witness one of these. And finally, something like this has come. And that's why it seems so unfamiliar. But we are not the first generation in human history to have dealt with something like that. There's a long history of this from the time you know, man walked on this planet. Um, but Back then, yeah, they had no way of finding out so much news. In 1918, and there's no way of talking to someone and connecting. Um, fortunately, we are uh, in, living in an era where all of this is available and the technologies that we get to use allow us to stay connected through voice, through uh, video, uh, which is available to very large number of the human population, other messaging uh, applications, etc. 
So this allows us a chance to stay connected and that's incredible because we're not really that socially isolated. Um, something else interesting that is happening in this point, Vignesh, is I, I've heard from a lot of people that I may not have heard from otherwise this often. I think everyone feels the need to reach out and touch someone and check in. But it's also a unified humanity in a way that I don't think I've seen before. And what I mean by that is in the last few years, there is a sense of separation that has increased. Borders have tightened. Countries have seemed to be distancing from each other and nationalistic leaders have had a different rhetoric out there. And in the book, I talk about the fact that yoga actually encourages us to go in the other direction. The, main, the meaning of the word yoga itself is union, union amongst ourselves and union between us and the larger sense of consciousness. So the practice of yoga encourages us to lose that sense of separation. But meanwhile, more recently, the world seems to have been erecting barriers, uh, metaphorical barriers, and increasing that sense of separation. And this epidemic does not respect any of those boundaries or barriers. And as you pointed out, it has affected everyone equally, any human body, irrespective of race, irrespective of class, social status, type of profession, urban, rural, gender, age, it does not matter. It, it can infect anyone. And the anxiety that's created, the suffering that is created, not to mention the economic impact that has said, that has swept through the entire world, uh, is universal, meaning it is someone in China can relate to it, someone in the US can relate to it, someone in India can relate to it, someone in Germany can relate to it. And in that sense, the unification, even though it's under unfortunate circumstances, has brought us together saying we are a vulnerable human race. There's only so many things we can connect. And you made the reference to technology and artificial intelligence, which is amazing that our incredible brain and imagination and creativity has come up with it. But in the midst of all this, this is an example of there is a natural intelligence, a natural order of things that seems sometimes that we've had to deal with and, uh, and maybe even stop and pause and acknowledge with great humility. And... Uh... We, when we look at how such situations like with such a global impact happened in the past and today we have this benefit of, like you said in your book called the 79th organ of how the mobile phones changed our life completely and we have outsourced most of the brain's work to that right now. And in today's world, sometimes our mobile phone or the smartphone is a boon, but at the same time, it's also a curse for us because we get so addicted to it. It releases a lot of dopamine and we are hooked onto it. And also, there are also um, research saying that social media and use of your smartphone is like a non-prescription drug for your anxiety and depression. And how would you, coming from such a tech industry, how would you recommend for the humanity to use that for something that is to our advantage and not something that is going to trick our worst behaviors? Yes, yeah, so Vignesh, I've uh, largely disagreed with that comment that you just made. We say you know, it can be a blessing and a curse. I, well, these devices are highly useful, but they are inert in and of themselves. They just sit there. 
they don't ask you to do anything yes it, it depends it, on how we how we make you our relationship with it is what and that's available to us and since you mentioned the sanskrit language it's called viveka right discrimination we have the power of discrimination and i tell people you have the as a human being with your intelligent brain you have the absolute ability to use what i consider is one of the most powerful features on the phone to your advantage it is the off switch it is the off switch turn it off when you don't need it put it away and uh, focus on living other aspects of your life and turn it on and use it when it will be useful so the device by itself does not force I mean, you can say it's addictive and etc but you're choosing yourself to be addicted by it and this is where you need to use some discrimination and uh, you know you have and our brain has an executive control function uh, and we can choose to use it the analogy i would use is the one of how it was when we first discovered fire when fire was discovered as a powerful natural force by human beings they realized it was extremely useful they used it to cook their food they used it to warm their caves and they used it to scare away predators but then they also very quickly realized that if they were careless about it and didn't use it properly it could be used to burn your finger it could burn your house down or if used maliciously it could burn an entire city down and over a period of time human beings learn to regulate their relationship with fire and that's why as adults we handle fire we use gloves we put it in the oven we have switches and control systems to it and we have an entire firefighting force if somebody used it maliciously or accidentally and set off fire to your house or to an entire city or to a forest similarly yeah the the mobile phone is the 79th organ but if you were to use it generically to all of the technology that are available to us we need to use some discrimination so that you are its master and not its slave and uh, here again i would say some of the practices we alluded to earlier i personally find it actually extremely useful to practice the discrimination so when i go out walking because i said one of the things i'm doing increasingly regularly every day in nature i expressly make sure that i don't connect with my devices i have it for safety but i'm not turning it on i just want to be present in nature when i do my yoga practice my phone is far away from me it's turned up i'm just focused on my body and my breath when i meditate again i don't need any devices and for that reason i rarely use any of the technology app based meditation i'm sure they're useful they might help some people but i try to bring it down to the basic fundamentals of my life of our existence which is my body my breath my awareness my intention my attention and my consciousness and it's all available within this container this miraculous thing called you so you don't need anything from outside for some of these most amazing practices and those are all opportunities for me to i say unplug from the internet via my phone and replug into my inner net i think that's also this is also one of the best times to practice this connecting to your inner net and rather disconnecting completely from your internet 
and many social media companies, what they're saying is their utility has gone over the roof in the last few weeks than any other time because people are so stuck with that. And Bobby, what is there any tips that you would recommend that you're practicing today that will be useful for the listeners? Yeah, in the context of the current times, I tell uh, my mentees and my team, friends, etc., to do three things or focus on or keep three things at the top of the mind. The first is you hold unconditional responsibility at this time to make sure you are helping the situation, not making it worse. And what I mean by that, I tell people that you take unconditional responsibility for doing the basic practices uh, of whether it's like physical distancing and washing your hands and um, practicing the five that's staying a meter away or, or six feet away from another person, coughing into your sleeve, not touching your face, washing your hands. And if you're falling sick, then immediately self-isolating yourself. So those basic practices do everything possible in your control not to get the coronavirus because there are two states you can be. You have the virus, you don't have the virus. I think not having the virus is the better state. Logical, it's very binary. And second, if you don't get it, if you don't fall seriously ill, then you're not overloading the medical system, which is getting overloaded, and leave the infrastructure for other people who unfortunately uh, might have gotten very sick. And third, if you don't have the virus, you are no longer a spreader. And having fewer people spreading it is the way to reverse the situation. So that is the first thing I say. That's your basic practice. And you have some degree of control there, or at least do the things that you can control. So you're not completely helpless. You can take responsibility, unconditional responsibility to do everything that you and the people in your circle of influence can. Second, uh, I say that uh, in the midst of all of this, do the things that you can to help others that in your direct face, and it can take a variety of shapes. Um, and, and I'm not going to instruct anyone on that. And I can tell you some of the things I'm doing, which is I made a list of some people who are uh, affected by it in an economic sense, and I'm trying to see what is it that I can do to help them. So it's like direct help to a certain group of individuals and families. Uh, there are others I know who are volunteering with organizations that are supporting it or working directly on uh, on solutions. And I've seen things ranging from uh, running a kitchen to building piece of technology that may be helpful in the situation to there are some others who are directly working on therapeutics like vaccines and testing infrastructure, etc. And the third thing is to... And this is where we might get a little metaphysical, but have to the best extent possible a sense of understanding, support, and compassion to the large group of people who are on the front lines, who are either directly affected, the family members, and uh, and the people who are still on the front lines. And some of it, you know, from a distance, you're sending out your love and your support but you can also practice in tiny daily acts a few days ago i saw the garbage truck in our neighborhood pass by flag the truck down 
and I stopped. I never met the person who actually picks up garbage on the street. I don't even know if it's the same person, but I saw and I stopped him and I said, thank you. And I said, I can't shake hands with you or give you a hug, but I thank you because you're doing this incredible work. You're putting your life at risk. And if you were not doing it today, the rest of us who are still, uh, who are sheltering at home, our lives would break up. Similarly, when I make a once in a 10 day run to pick up some vegetables at my local grocery store, and they're the checkout clerks. I know them. I've seen them uh, many uh, times over the years. I thank each one of them individually. They're putting their lives at risk in what is an essential service to make sure that the food supply goes on. So in many different ways, recognizing that our lives function, because there are many others in the whole ecosystem who are doing this, and I think a time like this makes us appreciate uh, those people, those roles even more so than before. And I was talking to someone today. At this point, I think most people are realizing that uh, we can get by without the basketball games going on. But we cannot get by if the utility system like the garbage system or the food delivery systems did not function. And even though our current economic models may compensate the basketball star more than the garbage delivery person, pickup person, or the supermarket grocery clerk, we are at a point where we are uh, where we are forced to recognize how important they are in this whole system and uh, realize that everyone in all of these worlds, big or small, plays an important role for our lives to be high-functioning. When we see how much this coronavirus issue is teaching us, you know, how much we took the world for granted, it is really unbelievable to what extent we took it for granted. Like we say, you know, we realize the importance or value of something only during its absence. So now we realize how the things that we took it for granted are so important and valuable for our life that made it so easy for us to live. And this is the best time to appreciate and be grateful to that. I totally agree. In fact, in the moment of just, I realized that, and it's happening to myself as well as the people I'm meeting or video professional uh, associates and colleagues, etc. A lot of them, uh, me included, and thank God this is a podcast and it's not a video where you can see me, Big Dish. Our hair uh, has grown long. And, and all of a sudden, because everything is closed, all these services are closed. And all of a sudden you realize how important my hairdresser is. And at this point, I would do uh, <laughs> anything to have an appointment with, uh, with Gabby to get my hair cut. Uh, but on a, on a, on a more... Uh, philosophical level, the fact of the nature is, uh, the, the fact of the current times is, it's only the humans who are going through this very difficult traumatic situation. Nature, when I walk around, look around, seems to be just functioning on its own. Plants, animals, their life goes on. So for a change, we have been put inside our uh, our homes, our our uh, 
cages, so to speak, and a couple of times a day we are let out, we get our food. It almost reminded me of the elephants in our hometown uh, where you're from, also Big Nation, for sure, yes. where there's an elephant near my parents' house that's kept in a big yard and, once, and it's fed and it needs about 3,000 pounds of food. And then once a day it's taken out and uh, taken for a walk and exercise and some way in my life and the life of people in my know in my neighborhood uh, seems like that. Eventually this will pass and we'll be allowed to roam freely and uh, do all the things that we used to do. But when we do that, it's hopefully with the lesson that we are part of this vast ecosystem and we are guests in that ecosystem and, and, and a co-participant with many others, many other species and not the masters. A lot of insights, Gobi. Thank you so much. This is such a wonderful discussion that we had with you. Thank you, Vignesh. Absolute pleasure having this conversation with you. I hope the borders will open and then we can meet again and you can travel to India and come for your next Panchakarma at Sitaram Beach Retreat. Absolutely. And have, your, and have your new insights of how the internet can be revamped after this coronavirus times. I am looking forward to the day. <laughs> and I will be linking about, uh, putting the link about your book uh, and also your talk in uh, TEDx in the bio of this uh, podcast. So I will put more description about all your works in the bio of this podcast. Thank you so much, Kobi. It was really a wonderful insight to have you in this podcast. Thank you, Vignesh. My Thank pleasure. You.